Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Our podcasts are made possible in part by corporate sponsor, Store My Tumor. In today's episode, I am so pleased to be speaking with Christy, who joins us from Wisconsin. I'm in Middleton, Wisconsin, um, very close to Madison, so if you say Madison, that will probably orient more people. When I was diagnosed after test, after test, after test, at diagnosis, I was already stage four, and I'm in a really great place right now. I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of strength. That's when this kind of seed idea for what I call stage five started taking root. Ooh, I like because I, I don't want to consider myself as stage four. And those classifications of the different stages, that's all they are just classifications spot on just classifications welcome to the conversation thank you so much for joining our podcast today you have actually been kind of following the survivingbreastcancer.org platform for a little while and you and i have exchanged a couple of emails and sharing your blog and information on our website with our community members which i think is so wonderful and they already have a little bit of taste about you and your background, and I think now that we've kind of full circled into coming onto our podcast, I want our listeners to know that this is the first time you and I are actually speaking, um, so I think that's really exciting too, where you know we, you and I don't have this long history of getting to know each other, so this is really fun to be recording live, so to speak, and on Zoom where we can visually see each other and get to know each other and support each other through our journey. I'm very open about my story and it's on my website all over the place and I share a lot about my diagnosis and where I'm at. But this information may also be new to you because this is the first time that we're speaking. So I'm happy to answer questions and relate where I can and share my experience if you have any questions about my breast cancer or where I'm at. And then vice versa. I think it's always amazing when women come and want to give voice to what they've been going through at any stage whether you know they just went for a biopsy and they don't yet know if it's going to come back malignant or not or you know they're a 20 year plus survivor and i'm like okay rub off on me i want to be able to say those words someday too so we really right. have the full spectrum but let me stop chatting for a minute and turn things over to you if you want to give our audience an introduction name sure. where you're from a little bit about yourself okay well thank you laura i appreciate this opportunity to be on your podcast and I'm happy to share my story with other listeners. My name is Christy Concer and when I, I I am 48 years old now when I was first diagnosed back in 2012 I was 41 and when I was diagnosed after test after test after test at diagnosis, I was already stage four. Um, that was a lot to handle. 
and I chose to go through with chemotherapy right away. No surgery was really recommended for me at that point. Some people are very, very open about their entire story and um, what they are doing and where they are currently at. Some people seem to be almost kind of in your face with some of that information. Some people are very angry, it seems, sometimes with what they say. And that's all up to each person. Everyone is different. For me personally, I I hold a lot of things a little more closer to my heart. Um, I took time off from teaching in my second grade classroom when I was first diagnosed because chemotherapy is hard. The side effects are hard. And I, I just could not be there. So I wound up, it was the spring of 2012. So I took off the rest of that year and I was just about done with my treatments in the following fall. So I was able to return while still finishing up my chemo. And I taught happily for four years after that, still not really sharing with a lot of the public that I had metastatic cancer. I did not want to be treated differently. You know, professionally, I, I didn't want others to do things for me. I loved my job and that's what brought me joy. It did get harder the past few years or the past final years where I was still in the classroom where just the, the medical appointments were becoming more frequent. I needed different things. I couldn't, the aromatase inhibitors weren't doing quite as an effective as job as they needed to be doing. And the recommendation came that I should go back on more traditional forms of chemotherapy. So that led me to a six month leave of teaching which turned into one a one-year leave, wow. which turned into a two-year leave. And then I kind of just had to finally accept that what was in the best interest of my health was to retire. And that kind of led me into the blogging world because I still wanted to do something where I could have the joy and the purpose and continue to teach in a in a different way from what I had been doing. Yes. Oh, so beautiful. And you bring up so many points so early on in this conversation, Christy. So thank you for being so open with us about your experience. And um, and I'm also in the education world myself. I work in higher education, and so I think oh. it's very natural for us to kind of take that educational caregiver, you know, persona and pass it forward any way that we can. Yeah. And I'm in a really great place right now. I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of strength. I've worked hard to kind of 
maintain those things because I need them for the things that I want to do to stay active. And, you know, I, I passed the seven year mark a couple months ago and I, I find that empowering for myself and I'm just really happy that I still can be strong and energetic and active. So I, I'm in a good place. That's amazing. And yeah, I was just doing the math when you were mentioning your diagnosis in 2012. And that is amazing to hear that you reached the milestone of seven years. And I have so many questions. If you would love to take me and our listeners back to the time when you got diagnosed, I unfortunately feel that this is not um, so uncommon where a lot of people go in for one of their first mammograms after they turn 40 and find out that they have cancer, unfortunately, and then to be diagnosed with such a late stage of cancer. It's so interesting because I feel like women, I never thought about it in the past where I'm like, oh, I'm just going for a doctor's appointment, just getting a mammogram. And it just seems so nonchalant when women just go and have to take off, you know, a half hour, come in late for work or leave work just a little bit early to go get a mammogram. They're in and out. But in those like 10 minutes of screenings and imaging, how quickly your life can turn and well, yeah yeah I, I had been watched pretty closely um my mother passed away from metastatic breast cancer in 2013 so I'd, I'd have to do some math to remember when she was first diagnosed but I think I had been getting mammograms since the time I was maybe 26 or early 30s oh. and and things had always been turning out okay. I had a couple fibroids here and there, nothing to worry about. Um, I wish I had known some of the things that I know about dense breasts now, because that would have been more of something that I could have advocated for myself for. The type of cancer that I was diagnosed with was the invasive lobular carcinoma which is also, I guess, more difficult to show up because it's, it's from what I remember at the time, it's not so much as a lump, but these little kind of finger-like branches, which are harder to detect. And if you are someone with dense breasts, like, like I am, then that, that just made it all the harder to discover. Um, I, I, Definitely wish I would have known a few of these things back then. And I, I had ultrasounds done when things were somewhat suspicious. And they, it was always like, no, no, we don't see anything. I, in hindsight, it was, it was there and just not found until I was already stage four. Yeah. No, that's, I and mean, you bring up such a great point about the breast tissue and the density and the symptoms, I think so much of the time in terms of awareness, we talk about, you know, knowing your body and, you know, feeling for lumps. And that seems to be kind of like the number one trigger, like, oh, okay, if it's cancer, if it's breast cancer, the number one symptom is that you feel it, you see, you feel a lump. But you're absolutely right that there are so many other signs that are not visible. Um, that you can be doing self-breast exams all the time and going in for your annual screenings. And it sounds like you've been going 
consistently and being watched consistently. Right. I mean, I thought if anything was ever found, it would be found early. So even when the I was going in for a lot of tests, I was not that worried because I thought, well, even if they find it, anything, I'll have surgery, I'll have some treatments, I'll be on top of it after that, and life will eventually kind of go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. That, that didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, when I was diagnosed, some of my symptoms showed you know, in fact, I did feel a lump, but for some reason, and this could just be me being naive at the time, because I was doing regular exams, to me, it was something that was always there. I was like, oh, it's just, you know, around my menstrual cycle, or, oh, it's just, that's always been there. I'm not worried about it. And it wasn't until I actually started noticing the cancer was doing that pulling and bringing in the tissue. And so there started to be like dimpling and actual visible signs on my skin that I said, wait, this is actually starting to look a little strange. Um, that wasn't there before. And that's what prompted me at the age of 34 to go and get a mammogram. There was no family history of it in my family um, that I knew about. And it did spread to the lymph nodes. So I was caught at an earlier stage, but still to this day nervous about the fact that you can have these dormant cancerous cells in other parts of your body and of course. Yeah. And, on the- and I think so many women are showing up at a younger age having breast cancer. Uh, that's very concerning to me, too, because what what is going on? I, I think there are a lot of environmental factors and nutritional things. And it's not just a, oh, a postmenopausal type Correct. health issue that, that shows up. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think one statistic I was seeing was that the hereditary um, percentage of breast cancer is only 10%. So that leaves the other 90% to obviously be like environmental or something in our diet or something that we're doing right. and that's out of our control. I, I bet you had some genetic testing done. I know I did. And there, there was no component that researchers know of yet that would link this to a genetic, something that's been passed along. I find it kind of hard to believe because I think there has to be something there too, especially since my mother had it, but I I don't know. I don't have the medical background. I set the bar very high for myself in terms of what I wanted to do. And I, I wanted to work. And, you know, so many times things would sort of pop up at oncology meetings. And what what was my question? Not so much about health things, but but I can still teach, right? Exactly. How can I keep teaching? Is this going to affect my teaching? Yes, yes. Um, and the visibility, too. I think that's such an important topic where, to one degree, you know, there's the visible signs of losing your hair and people thinking that, you know, something is wrong or you're going through active treatment. And I'm on the spectrum now where my hair is growing back and I'm getting my energy back, but I still have those doctor's appointments and I still need to take time off from work to schedule those. And a very realistic example that happened to me this past Thursday, I woke up and I was so fatigued that 
I called in sick, and I rarely call in sick. I take some sick time to do the doctor's appointments, but, it, you know, I don't get the flu. I don't, I feel like I'm on all these chemo drugs. That it's impossible for me to get sick right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we're fighting off the cancer. We're not going to get the flu. Um, I get, I would get sick every year still teaching. <laughs> I'd get my flu shot. I would do everything, but there were just too many little germs floating around and it, it, and it was system. like, okay, now I have a cold. Now I have the flu. Mm. And in that school system too, I totally believe it. But I called my boss and I'm like, you know, I have to take the day off. I'm just, I need to sleep. I need to rest. My body is telling me like, I can't even make it to the car, let alone drive. So I'm just going to stay in bed. And I did. I rested all day and then was back at work on Friday. I needed, you know, 15 hours of sleep pretty much. But the point is, like, I look healthy on the outside, but we're still managing so much too. So I think your your conversation about appearance can go both ways. And mm-hmm. I really resonate with what you were saying too. It's like, okay, can I work? I want to give it my all. I don't want the special treatment at work. I don't want people to feel sorry for me. But we do need to take care of ourselves and our health too. And it's, it's this really hard fine line and balance I think we're, we're, we're juggling. Yeah. And I, the juggling that was just entering my mind where I was juggling so much in terms of my, my career, my health, my home, other aspects of my life. And it's just like, man, I, I, I realized I could not do it all anymore. And that, that health part is the most important because without that, then it's really limiting towards those other things that you can do and enjoy. How did you relate your diagnosis to your second graders? Oh, that was really hard. At the time, my long-term sub was already in place, and she knew that she would be there for the remaining three or four weeks of the school year, but she hadn't told the kids And my principal at the time wanted me to be the one that they hear it from. And I just thought, oh boy, I don't know if I can do that. And it's, it's always amazing of all the things that we do that we don't think we can do. But I, I decided to go in towards the end of the day, you know, so it would kind of be the last thing that they would have before they went home and they wouldn't have to carry that with them throughout the whole day. And I went in and my principal joined me. The The boys and girls were very happy to see me, but I, I told them that I had been seeing a lot of doctors And they had found a problem with some of my cells that they they were not working the right way. And um, there was a name for that and it was called cancer and I had breast cancer. And then, you know, some of the little whispers started and they're just like, oh yeah, my grandma had that. Or, you know, they, they could connect, they understood, but I wanted to try to tell them in as non-scary of manner as I could. And I said that my doctors had a really good plan for me, but that that involved that I wouldn't 
be able to be there with them in the classroom for a bit. And, you know, they were very lucky to have this teacher who was there sitting in my rocking chair who was going to be there with them. And I, so, so I got through that. Um, then I had to let the staff know, and I did have a coworker share that with them because I was just kind of done at that point. I had to um, also send an email to my families about the chat that I had with their students and to let me know if there were questions or the long-term sub or the principal or the guidance counselor that I wanted it to be a smoothest transition as possible for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they really stepped up. They, I was encouraged to form a team that year for the Coleman Walk and I, practically all of my kids showed up wow. to walk. That's empower, empowering. Like, oh my gosh, like that's so special. Christy, wow, that's, that's love right there. That's... So, so it, it was a hard thing to tell them, but I think I did okay with that. Yeah, you kept it positive. You let them know they were in good hands. You were honest and real, right? Like you, it's amazing I always forget that children can pick up on all of these like innate, like they have this innate intuition about what's going on, right? And for them to be able to connect the dots and say, oh, my grandmother had that, or, you know, yes, I can relate to it. It's, they're curious. And children, they are capable of so much in terms of their understanding. And we think that they're not going to get things, but I often think they get things more than grown-ups do it's it's yes it's awesome I also am very curious too to hear more about your prognosis I am so inspired to hear that it's been seven years my oncologist never really gave me too many specifics on that I mean I I knew what the statistics were already because my mother was having a second recurrence mm-hmm. or things had progressed that we didn't know about. And, and that was where a lot of my knowledge had already come from. So I, I knew a lot about breast cancer from what was happening with her. And you're right, the statistics are not good. I had been sent to a surgeon in anticipation of possible surgery. And he felt the need to give me a pamphlet or a packet of sorts, sorts that was just not overly positive or uplifting. And I started reading it and I just thought, no, I, I don't want to know this. This is not going to be me. And as you say, none of us really know, but I, I didn't even finish reading it. I just, I, I put it in the garbage bin where it belonged. And that's when this kind of seed idea for what I call stage five started taking root. Ooh, I like because this. Because I, I don't want to consider myself as stage four. And those classifications of the different stages that's all they are. 
just classifications so that um, you can kind of be compared to other patients and there are ways to keep treatments consistent for people at different levels. And with, with stage five, I decided that I was going to live more on my own terms and with a mindset of living well and focusing on being healthy and to try to live with the joy and hope and to focus on being strong and healthy and if not not the doom and gloom of oh you know you have stage four poor you what have they said or where else has it gone no i that's just not where i could be in my mind and yes there there is a good level of denial in some of that but the denial has been wonderful for me because I've been able to focus on the positive things. And that's why I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to keep telling myself I'm stage five and none of those other statistics are things that I'm really going to pay attention to. I'm, I'm going to live without... I, I do listen to my doctors. That medical part is extremely important. But from the emotional standpoint, it's like I've, I've got this other mindset that I am just, I've dug my heels into that. Oh, I think that's fantastic. I love the fact that you're stage five. Can I start talking about that when I meet with women? I think that is oh, sure. awesome. I feel like they're on my website, I'm going to say like, and now stage five, like this is what you have to know. I think that's amazing. I, I wrote one of my early blog posts on that really? um, to, tr to try to get that language out there because I, I do think it's an important kind of new way to think about it. Yes, I will definitely link to that. So when I share the podcast, I will link to that blog post. And oh, I think that's ph phenomenal. I okay, I can send you what it's called and such so yeah. you can do that please do what you were saying and I had to like jump up for a second I just got this book um I met with the author her name is Laura Holmes Haddad she's out of San Francisco and gave a keynote speech at one of the conferences I was at up in Stowe Vermont a couple weeks ago and so she wrote a book and her keynote was all about the connection between the physical like medicine and the oncology and the chemotherapy and the traditional realm of curing cancer. And the disconnect, but yet the importance that we need to bring to the mental and the um, emotional side of a cancer diagnosis, and that there's a gap there in terms of our treatment. And I think that really resonated with exactly what you just said. And also ties into what we're doing at survivingbreastcancer.org and why I started our nonprofit as well, because as you go through our website, we focus on positivity. Like if you want to find anger in the, you know, the FUs and the exclamations and all of that stuff, like you can find that. It's very easy to complain. Uh, look at all the yes. Yelp reviews on restaurants, right? Like it's very easy to put out the negativity. And it really takes people like you with your blog or our website and our, or our organization to help reframe that mindset on positivity 
I truly believe that the body will follow what the mind, you know, attests to. The power of the mind, like we still don't even know the power of what we're capable of doing. I do too. Yes. And if you think you're going to continue to do well, your, your body physically reacts to what you're emotionally thinking and feeling. And yes, we, we do have to focus on being positive and hopeful and with more empathy, not just with cancer, but with, with everything. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I love the stage five too, because I think it's true when you, when you give yourself this label, label is probably not the right word, but when you mention your health concerns and I notice in my experience with my colleagues and my friends, they always want to know how I'm doing, but they mean it in like a, what's the health update, right? Right. And sometimes <laughs> you just want to be with your friends and be away from that. I, yes. I mean, it, I carry it with me pretty much all the time, everywhere I go. And if I can be in an environment where that's not the focus, where that's that means a lot to me, mm-hmm. where I can just really kind of be myself and not have to answer that question right off the bat or somewhere in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So to quote Laura Holmes in this book in her keynote, she was saying, it's so great that doctors, you know, your oncologist will run all the labs and the blood work and say, okay, great. Like your white blood cells are looking good. We can do the infusion. We can move forward. Like from a medical perspective, you're doing great. And then your nurse comes in and she does your blood pressure and does your temperature and she asks you like, have you fallen recently? Or like, did you get the smiley faces of like what level of fatigue are you feeling today? Yeah. (laughs) But like no one asks you like, when was the last time you took a walk? When was the last time you like laughed out loud uncontrollably that made you cry because you were laughing so hard? When was the last time like you were smiling and engaging? And I think that goes back to your, that, psychological and emotional healing part that's not really embedded yet into or being a complement of care in terms of the traditional treatment that we get. I was looking for something to do where I would still have a purpose after that retirement decision had finally been made. I had been working on a book for a long time and I kind of finally brought that to completion and I was ready to start sending out some queries or looking for an agent or a publisher. And I had received advice from someone who said, Christy, you know, you're, you don't really have much of a platform. Publishers are going to be a little more likely to pick you up if, if you have some sort of following or you've made more of a voice for yourself. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll focus more on Twitter on this aspect. I'll, I'll, I started thinking maybe blogging would be a good way to raise my visibility in that. And I'm actually not so much focused on the book aspect right now. I may come back to that, but I've, I've been finding so much happiness with my blog and it really is achieving kind of what I wanted to in terms of getting this 
getting my message out about what it means to live stage five, what it means to, um, I, I blog a lot about hope and joy, some fear, identity, being strong, um, being healthy, and what those things mean to a person who is trying to live well with cancer. I always do try to put something in there. I, I think those themes really are applicable to everyone. You know, everyone should be able, I hope, to walk away with something positive, whether they have cancer or not. Exactly. Those are great terms to live by regardless, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been keeping me um, very busy. I was always a little over-consumed with my teaching career, I feel. And sometimes I think, whoa, I need a little more balance because I'll be out for a walk and I'll think, oh, I need to tweak this sentence in the blog or I'll run across someone and have a conversation and think, oh, I need to sit down because I have all these ideas that are coming, coming to mind right away. Yeah, that's amazing. How can our listeners get in touch with you in terms of like your Twitter account or your blog? How do they find you? Oh, okay, sure. I am the blog is called Finding a Way at ChristyConcer.com. I got that inspiration from the swimmer Diana Nyad, who was the first person to swim from Florida to Cuba. Wow. without a shark tank where her mantra was find a way find a way find a way and I thought well that's kind of what I'm trying to do I'm trying to find a way to be as healthy as I can be while doing it with as much joy and hope as I can and that's not always easy because some of the things that I've done and others have done with cancer are really, really hard. But I decided to name it Finding a Way after that. And, um, and she did it on her fifth try, and you're all about stage yes. five. Oh my God. Oh, I didn't even realize that, Laura. Thank <laughs> you. Um, Christy, so that's I, I the name to... of the blog and where I can be found at christyconcer.com. Okay. The Instagram is kkbadger1. And I think the Twitter is KK Badger one too. I should know that, but since I never really write to myself, I forget. I totally understand. Absolutely. And I'm glad that William's joining us too. Yes. Hi, William. Hi, Chris. I just wanted to say thank you for your positivity. That's what, uh, that's what captivated me initially with your blog site and, and uh, just keep up the great work. That's wonderful. It's just, that's what we you try too. to do in the community. You too. So, you guys are doing, you're, you're making a great difference. Thank you very much. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> you're, you're part of the podcast, dude. Like, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> oh, so, no, that's great. So people can, can find you on Twitter and Instagram and your website and read your blogs and help you with your platform. And hopefully your book, if you turn back to that, um, you know, will help increase awareness and raise that platform also. Yeah, thank you. I, I think blogging has actually tightened up my writing a lot, and I'm much more pleased with how I craft things 
as a writer through the blog and I'll take some of the material from the book and I'll, I'll refashion it and I'll think, oh, this is so much better. So perhaps at some point I'll be able to compile those posts and organize them in such a way that that's kind of my newest forever draft that I can submit. Yes. And isn't it healing too? I find a lot of this to be incredibly healing in terms of us just writing, journaling, turning it into some sort of formal you know, publication on a website. And when I first started too, when I first got diagnosed, everyone was like, oh, are you gonna start blogging? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like I am way too tired and you think I'm gonna like sit in front of a computer and start <laughs> typing and worry about spell check? Like absolutely not. But what I ended up doing was a YouTube channel and oh. I was able to start recording my, because I was like, I can talk into my phone. Like, it's not going to be like this beautiful, you know, edited, you know, Final Cut Pro beautiful, you know, YouTube channel. But I literally would do like live YouTubes of like, okay, I'm going in for my treatment right now. This is how I'm feeling. Or like, I'm getting my hair cut. This is what's going through, like shaving your head, the experience, etc. And so it was much easier for me to kind of do like the uncensored YouTube. And that's where I started to find some of the traction of, okay, wait, people really want to know, like, it's not happy, you know, I, I have cancer, everything's great, look at me, I'm positive. It's like, no, you have to balance the positive with the realities and the ups and downs. And from the, the YouTube channel, again, when I was taking a medical leave, I think we're so used to working on the career and focusing 100% and, going, and giving 110% on everything that we do. I was like, okay, great. I, in between naps, like what should I be working on? And that's really what gave birth to the nonprofit. So kind of taking this idea of, you know, formalizing my story and then giving people a platform to share theirs because I was getting so much joy and therapy out of my story that now we have our blog where it's a community blog for people to share their voice, our survivor stories, our podcast for people to come on and share their experiences because that's that's what keeps us going right yeah you have a great resource on your surviving breast cancer site that you have it's it's pulled together with a lot of valuable resources the the writing piece has been very cathartic for me in terms of really focusing what i want to say and how i want to say it it's a good release I wanted to ask you also, you you mentioned a little bit about what you blog about in terms of identity. And, you know, you and I, I think, are on different ends of the spectrum in terms of how open we are about our diagnosis and where we need to share with our employers or share with our students or families of our students kind of what's going on. But then also, you know, how do we censor and choose what we're sharing on our social media profiles, on our blogs, in a book? Um, Mm -hmm. I really struggled with that. I really struggled with, you know, at what point do I let my Facebook friends know, for example, that, like, I have cancer? Or um, I think in this digital age, too, like, that's exactly where my mind goes. It's like, okay, social media, like, when do these people get to know? And in a positive way, I think it defines me, and I embrace it, and I like that. So this is my personal, like, yes, I'm Laura Carfang, and I have so many you know, hats that I wear. Cancer is one of those hats, but I talk about it all the time. How do you identify with cancer? What type of language do you like to associate it with? You know, um, 
And I'm not like, hi, I'm Laura. I have cancer. But at the same time, too, right, right. it's like, oh, you're um, Laura. You're no, I, I agree with a lot of what you are saying. It certainly has shaped my life more than I've wanted it to. Uh, you know, you said that some people are like, oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And and no, 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 it's not. Um, but we can still find a renewed direction and a renewed purpose with what it is that has happened to us. I don't think that an illness or a person's job really is where a person's identity is found. And when I could no longer teach, a huge part of my identity was taken by this other thing, you know, the cancer. And it was just like, we, we need to have, so I was very sensitive. I still am sometimes if you meet someone and they're, the first question is always, oh, it's nice to meet you. What do you do? And it's always based on that career or your job. And it's like, well, I, I was an elementary school teacher for 22 years. I've retired now, but let me tell you about some of the things that I enjoy. I enjoy reading. I enjoy writing. I love being out in nature. I love to walk and hike. I work on um, photo cards that I make. I'm a blogger. I have a blog now. And I, I try to kind of steer that answer into a, hmm, I, I see what you're asking, but I'll politely say that there's more to a person's identity than what they do. And especially when that's kind of been what, what you do is something that you've loved and you've identified with as part of your core being for so many years. And it's just kind of like, oh, why did they ask me that? I, I might start to cry. <laughs> and then, you know, that's a place where you don't want to go either, where you can't answer this question. Hi, I just met you. I'm going to break down right was, now. <laughs> it was asked innocently enough, but it's just kind of like, shoot, that's one of my hot button issues. They should not be asking me that. <laughs> Totally, totally. There's definitely a social anxiety piece that I struggle with in terms of people not always, or I feel people do not always understand that I may not have the energy to do something that I used to be able to do, or I, I would plan my week out and in terms of when this different side effects like the fatigue would hit or the nausea would hit from some of the things that I had been on recently. And it's just like, okay, I can do something on Monday and on Tuesday, but by Wednesday and Thursday, I'll kind of have these chills and, and yet I was, I would turn really red from the neck up and I would be super, super hot. And then the rest of me from the neck down would kind of be shaking with the chills. And no, that's not a time that I really want to go out and be with my friends because, right. of course, I'm not going to look healthy. I'm not going to feel healthy either. So I'm not going to have a good time. And 
I, I want to be invited. I want to be included and welcomed into a group to do things. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, gosh, is it going to be okay for me to plan this event next week? How am I going to be feeling then? And, you know, things, things have shifted quite a bit, so I don't have as many of those worries. But it's, it's still kind of tough to go out and about if, you know, it's just like, well, what can I order in a restaurant that's not going to upset my stomach? Yes. And will I be able to enjoy the show afterwards? Or am I going to get a stomach ache from this? Right. Or, you know, from some of the medication that I'm on right now. And it's, it's just, it's, you're kind of juggling and you can tell some people, I guess I'm telling a lot more people now. Oh my gosh, the side effects are absolutely crazy. I'm going to stop us here because we have so much to talk about and we have yet to get to the topic on empathy, which I know is a very um, important topic to discuss also with our community members. And I think this is the perfect segue into that topic, talking about the triggers, coming up with different tactics and strategies for dealing with social situations. And all of the things that, as someone who's been diagnosed with cancer or someone living with cancer, these are the things that we think about all the time. Like, can I go out with my friends? How am I going to feel? Am I going to have some sort of reaction to food, etc.? So I think we will pause for now, and then I invite everyone to tune in um, once a week. Every week we'll be talking again with Christy as she talks to us a little bit more about empathy and how we engage with our friends, our loved ones, our co-workers, and the world around us. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast are from personal experiences and are not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always contact your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, please feel free to reach out to me. My email is laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us some stars, show some love, and write a comment. It would mean the absolute world to me and will help get this information out to the broader community so we can continue to provide you with this free, amazing content. Until next time, keep on thriving.